Stupid, ignorant pig you listeners. Ignorami, welcome <laughs> to the Grand Emperor Thuditomies. <laughs> welcome to Hedonism Hour. <laughs> Which one of you smallings will be changing my diaper? <laughs> oh, God. Feed me grapes, peasant. I don't know. It's like somewhere between like Dame Edna and you know what it is it's the robot from uh it's the hedonism bot from futurama that's what you're doing you're totally right yeah it is hedonism bot all right awesome i enjoy pleasures all right welcome to the show everybody welcome uh i'm your host asher lack with me are my co-hosts dr alan sussman what's up and Raphael ruttenberg esq hey uh, and today we are talking about La Jetée, 1963, French, new wave, uh, science fiction. It was beautiful, lyrical, magical. Yeah, it was, I, I'm pretty sure that's what, 12, without knowing, it's what 12 Monkeys is based off of. Yeah, it's it was the inspiration for Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys, which I guess he did it like 30 some odd years later. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a It's a... Movie about time travel. It's told when did, entirely. When did it in come out? Nineteen sixty-three. Uh, okay. Um. Yeah. So, initial thoughts on this turkey? It was good. I, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I've, I've never seen a movie like this before. I don't know if yeah, I'm just yeah. like missing out on like a whole genre of film, which is you know that this there's a narration that takes place over still photographs. Are you aware of any other movie that does this? So it's interesting because in film school and like, again, I was in the writing side of film school, so I didn't ever have to do these projects, but this is the first project that they give film students is they show them this movie and then they're like, okay, now you guys go out and make one like this. It's usually not 28 minutes make long. One, make one better than this if you can, <laughs> yeah. you simpleton. You, you fucking cretins. swine. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And what do they do? What do they do for the writers? Um, they just like give you... I guess we had to write a 10-minute play, um, a 10-minute silent screenplay, and no. then uh, outline a full length and write a full length. And that was like our freshman year was nice. those those three projects. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, film school was fun. I recommend going there. So what was, what was there. the title of your play? The, oh, I can't. The Orchards of Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Shaming of Thucydides. <laughs> um yeah, I don't know about any of your work from from, from film, film school, school because none of it was like good it's enough work. for me to yeah <laughs> exactly <call> work. <laughs> I was just sort of like I don't know. I'm here to develop a trade. I I want to be like, a musician. <laughs> you're like a union guy. You're just like well, I was in the writers' union, and I don't know how they do it with the for the cameras specifically. <laughs> yeah, it's none of my business. Like, yeah, fucking uh, call my rep. I'm on golden time now. You got a question? Fuck yourself. <laughs> What's golden time? Golden time is when you've worked. So for uh, listeners who don't know and have never worked in film and TV, golden time is when you've worked a certain number of consecutive hours and you've missed a certain number of union breaks. So they're paying you or triple your wage. It's also the name of a elder care facility (laughs) (laughs) in Palm Gables, Florida. (laughs) Nice. I thought it was just like pee break. 
No, golden, <laughs> golden time. I'm on golden time. You'll have to call me back. I don't know, like an hour? <laughs> yeah. How long does it take to piss? I, uh, it's just like, I don't know. That that world was such a drag for me to be in. Like, I don't know. For, for listeners who don't know my personal life story, I, I went to film school and I worked for Wes Anderson for a year. And then I worked on Entertainment Tonight for like six or seven months after I graduated school. You've dropped the Wes Anderson tidbit a number of times. I think, but I, it always gets cut because it's completely <laughs> irrelevant to anything. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it I, worked, I worked for this person who was really cool at the time and has since fallen the fuck off. Um, no, he's still cool. I don't right? think he's, he is. I, what I do you mean by cool? Like, like, like I mean, I dog, a lot of people still like like that movie. That was a pretty big movie. I don't right? know. I don't think that like kids go to his movies and like artsy, aspiring, like you know, wannabe artist people are like, yeah, the new Wes Anderson is out. It's like, no, they're on some next level shit. They're like, no, it's like fucking <laughs> Patagonia NPR with NPR listeners. You know, that's who goes to see those movies. Yeah, was that was that you make cool? That's a sensible joke to make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people who are like living New Yorker cartoons. Yeah, like, basically. Yeah, okay, it's not like cool. <laughs> Witty rejoinder at a party. Oh, the people I want to fucking chainsaw genocide. Yeah, right. And also am one of. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, of course. It's like, so sorry. I, I, I don't know, but no, a, now I don't know what fucking kids watch. They're just like boom gang and eating Tide Pods and just like, yo, <laughs> check out this video of this guy stealing donuts. I'm <laughs> like, okay, cool. Is it, Does it have any like substance? Like, yeah, it turns into a makeup tutorial. I don't know why I gave it like <laughs> my dumb dumb voice. I uh, googled that eating Tide Pods after you met you because you mentioned this before. Because this is like and, some and shit. I, how are you unaware of this? I know I had no idea. What well, is I mean, this? They just look delicious, listeners. If you've eaten a Tide not. Pod, tweet they at us. They don't look delicious. They look like they're filled I with think that like a chalky powder. I don't want to. T- <laughs> All right. powder. I'm going to show Alan. No, no, a you're looking at the different. Like you're thinking of the different types. No, you're <laughs> thinking of the good ones. <laughs> no, I mean they, they, they sort of they I sort of look like Haribo best. gummies. Yeah, they do a exactly. little bit, but like obviously you know. We're talking about the ones that are they just like blue and like a blue gel inside? Yeah, like it's like blue, blue and orange white. gel. Yeah, they just mm. look amazing. I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like you know I have enough enough of a developed like ego in the Freudian sense to like know that. <laughs> I shouldn't eat something just because it has colors. You know what I mean? Because it bears like a superficial resemblance. Yeah, like, I mean, no, I think th- anyone who's over three knows that. I think three most people, I think five is probably the cutoff. <laughs> but I think what made this such a cultural moment is that it's just like on the internet, you discover that there's an audience for anything and that there are, pe- there are people who want to fuck M&M's. <laughs> Like I've said a number of times in conversation. Not again. Not on the show. With your elderly relatives. Elderly relatives. And they ask what's going on. I tell them about people on the internet who want to fuck M&Ms. That's how I derail a conversation. Yeah. It's just like, oh, you guys think that capitalism is is doing the right thing? Get a load of this shit. It's (laughs) It's like, okay. So I take your point about people not working as hard as they used to back in the day and relying on the government for handouts. (laughs) <laughs> and you know just people should be speaking english all the time and yeah i get and it Tucker you know carlson is right. saving democracy i i get it when your parents moved here they you know from poland they learned english within the week i get that yeah uh, but have you heard about the people want to fuck the m&ms <laughs> <laughs> it's a yeah. nice it's a nice segue you know we all get to like express our grievances so my theory <laughs> is, is your grievance that you haven't gotten to plow the, the purple m&m 
I don't think there's no purple M&M. So you just showed yourself <laughs> to be ignorant. You showed your ass right there. <laughs> hey, which is the female? Yellow? I think green. It's green. 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 No, it's green. yellow is the obese I one. <laughs> Yellow's a teamster. It's like a pear-shaped <laughs> loser. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to fuck the yellow one. No, people want to fuck the green M&M. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, there's... This up. There's inevitabilities that that we're facing right now. One is the the dawning advent of sex robots, and people are writing these like high minded, you know, disquisitions on what it means that what would mean for society to have sex robots. And usually, this revolves around serious issues like consent, um, you know, and like what repercussions this will have. Um, but wait. <laughs> Okay, sorry. Right, so Let's let you finish your point. Okay, thank you. So, <laughs> <laughs> the first time finish my ever, serious ever point. <laughs> so on this podcast, you know, what people don't realize is that they just—I think they're just assuming that people are just going to want to fuck like you know members of the opposite sex in robot form. <laughs> but what they don't realize is there's lots of people who want to fuck things like. I don't know Sonic the Hedgehog, <laughs> Luigi from the Super Mario Brothers, um, Donald Duck. <laughs> fucking um, a scary animated car. Yeah, fucking yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's just like anything. Mailbox. Wally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Buzz fucking Lightyear. <laughs> the logo for like Whole Foods. Yeah, Ronald McDonald. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone's gonna even... someone's gonna build a, a green M and M sex robot. And that's okay. I wouldn't kink shame that person. If you want to fuck the green sex robot M M&M, and M, you're cool. Like yeah, but I, not if it's. Eminem the rapper. No. That's not cool. That's not cool at all. That's yeah. not okay. Yeah, if if that's who you're attracted to, <laughs> fix your life. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> like throw away your puka shell necklace. <laughs> like <laughs> go to the machete doctor and have him cut off whatever arm your tribal tattoo is on. <laughs> get a fucking life. Yeah, your your barcode on the back of your neck tattoo. Oh, uh, yeah. So speaking of uh nothing, um I don't know. So initial thoughts on this movie? I already gave my thought. That yeah. it was good. So what <laughs> yeah. we got away from is that I, I wasn't aware of any other movies that were like this. And right, I thought right. it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely... So like for listeners who haven't seen the movie before, it's structured a lot like... It has a bit of like a Ken Burns almost feel in terms of its still images mm. with oh, yeah, narration. I, that was the only <laughs> other did kind not of <laughs> touchstone that I could, I could sort of put it but to. But don't go expecting Ken Burns. You yeah. Know? Don't, don't expect like, like Fiddle. Yeah. <laughs> don't expect Wynton Marsalis to talk about how awful it is that like jazz people play half notes or whatever the hell he's upset about and then there on the hill of Zebulon <laughs> fought old Richard Beardface in his last charge against Williamsburg McGee <laughs> I don't know yeah in rewatching Ken Burns old which, Tom Hickory died that day <laughs> um, bloody stool hill <laughs> so named uh, so should we do a plot breakdown of this movie I mean like yeah, so did you mention this movie is less than 30 minutes you yeah. probably must have said that I think that was my favorite thing about this movie we were originally going to do stalker this week because we've been doing like a lot of garbage and I you felt talk, guilty talk about fucking ping-ponging between like lengths of movies yeah yeah like th- th- tarkovsky like theoretically like as long as any movie could possibly get <laughs> uh like people make the point all the time it's like you could cut 45 minutes oh easily it's like any tarkovsky movie you could cut 45 minutes from 
and I I object to that because I'm like, yes, you could, and you'd still, ha- and you'd have probably in some ways a a better movie, a better movie, but then you wouldn't have a Tarkovsky movie. That's true. You know what? Fucking sit through it. Yeah, fair fast enough. forward if you don't want to see. Yeah, if you don't want to see like the ten minute like close up of like a painting <laughs> yeah, or whatever, yeah. like a slow <laughs> like a piece of grass floating in yeah, like exactly. a river stream. Exactly. That's like horses drinking from a trough for twenty minutes. If you uh, don't like it, fast forward. Did the protagonist in this movie look weirdly like my dad? He did actually. It made me really, oh, really? uncomfortable. I didn't notice that. Yeah, Carolyn yeah. pointed it out, and I was like, I was thinking the same thing. My yeah. friend and yours, Stephen so, Lack. <laughs> Time traveler, Stephen Lack. <laughs> yeah. So for, for listeners who haven't seen this movie and haven't seen 12 Monkeys, which is sort of a later adaptation of this movie, I, I think this is obviously a much more lyrical, haunting, beautiful, super yeah. French version of that story. So French. It's so French. Um, this movie is, it's about, like, we're told the story of this guy who has a memory from when he was a very small child of watching someone on, I guess, a pier at an airport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what jeté means. Yeah, jeté means the pier. Or like, I'm not sure how that relates to airports. I think that confuses it, me. That's what they call... like. The, Actually, uh, there's an English word, jetty. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. I, I think that it, it means like um, the, the gates, you know, like where you wait for your plane to board. Oh, is that it? I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I think that that's what it was. Maybe. It seems like some sort of structure in airports that doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah, like how people used to... Have you ever been like... Have you ever exited a plane like they roll up the, the stairs? And you walk yeah. down it? Like, you know, President the president yeah. Boy does? Maybe once. Yeah. In once other countries, I've done that. Yeah, I think in yeah, Mexico, yeah, yeah. I did it one yeah. time. It's, just, yeah. it's a very weird experience. Like they just like park the plane. Yeah, it's very and surreal. And then they roll up a, st- a staircase and you just walk down the staircase and then yeah. you get into like a little... Yeah, like the Pope... Yeah. The Pope yeah. always does that, right? Like the Pope. Voldemort. The president. <laughs> <laughs> We're naming other, all other the best people. people. The Beatles. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess, so the movie is told, that at the beginning of the movie, we see the protagonist as a child watch this event happen, and the narration describes it as only later in his life did he come to realize that he was watching a man die. And it's kind of unclear how the man that he sees die. Uh, do you even see the man who's dead? I don't think so, no. But we no. see a woman who's reacting to the death of the man. And yeah. we get one shot of her face. And yeah. it's like something about the woman's face never left this child's mind. Yeah. And then three days later, it's like, three days later. You also don't see the child, I think, right? Like, no, we never see the child. That is sort of first person. Yeah, yeah it's, the way it's filmed, I feel like. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. first person, and it, and it's definitely, um, yeah, we see like it's it's mostly crowds, and we don't see anyone else's face really. We just see the woman. Mm. Um, the movie is also black and white, by the way. Black and white listener. still photos. Yeah, yeah black with narration. And, it's like <laughs> a, a, a challenging you to be bored, but it's not boring at all. Yeah. Um, the music yeah. is really. Oh, the music was so like, good in this. Yeah. Yeah. I was very, very down with the music in this. Yeah. Just the fact that this is engaging as it is, yeah. I feel like really reinforces the point that like the way that things are done isn't necessarily the only way to do them and that it lacks a lot right. of imagination that we're just like, not that, you know, not that you people should remake this style of movie, you know? I mean, like there's only so many ways that this could work, but like, you know, the, the super linear, super defined three acts, you mm-hmm. know, it just, it doesn't have to be that way. 
Yeah. And we're capable of being entertained by other shit. Well, and also, like, I think that it lowers the threshold of what you need to make a great, what oh, constitutes a great movie. And that was, I think, to me, the most exciting yeah. thing about this movie was sort of like, you mean I could make a movie <laughs> with, like, 50 still photographs and a tape recorder? Like, fuck it. Let's do yeah. it. Like, I mean, <laughs> these are the, the erotic adventures was? of Gumby. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I, I would say the budget must have been really low. Oh God, it was like nothing. I mean, what? There were two locations, three locations in Paris, and then that weird underground location, which was like probably just someone's basement. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Prop. Because you props. don't even. A lot of the time, it's just no like, props. Oh yeah, no, those stuff weird, on the eyes. Yeah, the goggles. Goggles. Ugh. A lot of it's sort of like underexposed, I guess. So like, you don't even really see a lot of the background. Yeah, like that. yeah. the The underground shots are like super high contrast, so like the white pops really strongly, the black is really yeah. dark, so you don't get a ton of detail. So yeah, it could just be like a small basement, but like you wouldn't be able to tell from the photo. You know? Yeah, you're given a sense that it's like a network of tunnels, but yeah, we'll get into that. Um, yeah. So this guy, it starts with this dude seeing this death, and then three days later, World War Three breaks out, and whatever part of humanity survives has to move into tunnels underground. Um, and, and that's all told in like 30 seconds or something with like five still photographs, right? Yeah. It's, it's they just showed like some, some post world war two stuff and that was it. Right. Yeah. Like they don't even show people. They just show like a, yeah. t- a tunnel. Like, yeah. You know, some burned out. Pictures just dressed in. The, yeah. The, yeah. The victors presided over a kingdom of rats. Oh God. I just, I fucking love this movie. Yeah, I don't know really why good. it like, t- is yeah. taking me a minute to even say. This movie is amazing, and it's on fucking YouTube. Go watch it. Yeah. Oh, is it? it it's on Vimeo, but it's also available to rent for f- like three ninety nine from Amazon. Mm. Yeah, that's what I reason. did. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because I'm a swine. All right. No, Amazon's strapped for cash, man. You should be just... <laughs> it's basically charity. <laughs> point. Ever since Bill de Blasio steamrolled them, <laughs> like a, you know... Like a cogger? <laughs> like a liberal hypocrite uh, told the fuck off. God. We'll talk this about is a it. socialist country. They're living in this, you know, humanity has sort of moved to this underground world, this network of tunnels. Um, and we see pictures of people who are in really desperate shape. And, th- and they're like, everybody looks kind of like wired or like fucking cracked out. They just look like really messed up. And I guess the people who are the leaders of the new underground world are looking for a way to obviously escape. So they start messing with time travel devices. Yeah. So that's something that, that really stru- struck me. And it's sort of like, I remember that idea um, sticking me from 12 Monkeys too. Like something that I really enjoyed in that was this idea that you have like this post-apocalyptic, completely ravaged post-apocalyptic, barely society that seems more like a penal colony than anything else. Um, but somehow they've managed to get time control, like the, uh, time, yeah. time travel, time, travel. Yeah. Time, time control. I'm into that. Controlling time, <laughs> sort of. So, um, yeah, just like that's such a stark contrast and it's just like so unsettling. It's just like how did they stumble on this yeah. This like technology that's like almost impossible? It's, it's not just like they discovered like, you know, something more mundane. Like they rediscovered like how to like, you know, send faxes or something yeah it is they discovered time control it's very weird yeah right? it's super weird and it's also like on top of that like the way that they describe it i think is kind of it's so much more artistic than i've seen time travel 
described in any other yeah. movie. Right. Well, Alan, what were you going to say? Nothing. Cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a lot less, a lot less literal. Well, so yeah. I just like the thing that I, I was thinking just about keep, the appeal of that. Yeah. Just say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about the appeal of that and I'll say this and I'll shut up <laughs> is that it's just like, it is a little bit fairy tale. Like it's a little bit magical. Yeah, like yeah. it's a little less hard science. Cause it's like, this doesn't make any sense. It is science fiction, but it is strongly not scientific. So that's kind of just like, you know, it has a, to me, like a kind of like fantastical fantasy aspect to it. Oh, totally. And and the way mm-hmm. that they describe time travel is it's, it's so surreal and it's based on sort of two elements, at least my understanding of it. I, I bet you Sam would have dug in on this a little harder, but it was like it, they describe time as a wave and you were riding the wave of time backwards into the past and what allowed you to access the wave was having a still point in the past that you could remember so the implication was that the people who were living underground in these tunnels had no real memories of the world that they had come from that were meaningful or good right and that this one guy so they they keep doing these experiments on people and the people keep going mad and they show some you know pretty great pictures I think probably my favorite image is of one of the bosses who's like a bald guy. Nobody has names also in the movie, right? Or did I miss anyone's name? No names. I think no names. Yeah, no names, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's like, they, they introduce us to the bosses of this underground world. Who I can't remember what they're called, but uh, there's like a particular one who's like a bald guy who has like a really striking face. And there's a mm-hmm. repeated image of his face like it's again it's a first person pov of waking up from time travel looking at him and it it comes on to sort of show the audience like okay this section of the time travel is over and you are back in hell like in the underground world and this guy is your boss they're so, german right they do whis- there's a lot of whispering in german oh yeah which is yeah. creepy as hell yeah 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 you know what i didn't even this movie's realize so creepy. that yeah, yeah. that like the implication is that the the scientists who discovered time travel are german yeah, which sort of echoes, you know, a lot of uh, research that was done um, on uh, like weaponry post World War II was done by by you know Nazi Nazi scientists. Yeah, Operation mm. Paperclip for yeah. listeners who are not hip to my conspiracy jams. Operation Paperclip was the the program that the Americans had to get scientists smuggled out of Germany. And they're the ones who sent the rocket to the moon. Was like I forget the name of the guy who developed the V two for Germany during the war. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, weaponry and space travel <clears throat> both involved a high degree of like finding people who are complicit in the Nazi war machinery. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, that that that's resonant in this movie too. Is that you know this society's collapsed and we're relying on you know these evil scientists. Yeah, like some of the worst. Yeah. So they find this one guy who has this very strong memory and it's the memory of seeing this woman on La Jetée on the pier or on the sort of causeway that's in the airport I guess where people used to go to watch planes and it's a memory from him as a child that his parents took him there and some man was running towards that woman and was killed but it's very unclear so as the story progresses he keeps getting sent back in time and he finally starts to see this woman in different places and interact with her. Well, I think even the first time he goes back in time, he sees the woman, right? Like, that's why he can go back in in time. That was the way I interpreted it, right? It was like, every person who'd done that before that was, um, 
they went crazy because they didn't have and then the, then the scientists decided that the person went back and needed to have some moment that they were like attached to some that they couldn't yeah and that they would go back to that anchor right so i think he sees her every time he goes back but it's a very poetic uh, you know yeah. uh, distillation of time travel and but it's not so different from interstellar actually <laughs> like the reason why he says the reason why they picked him is that he has this attachment to his daughter oh in this right? place and that place and yeah and in time, the room with right. the, huh yeah i didn't think of it that way yeah that's so wild good pickup yeah thanks bro um you're welcome bro thanks guys <laughs> alan gets the gold star for the episode yeah. i love you guys. a plus 100 <laughs> well done it's my tim gun voice <laughs> the more i sort of like dig into this the more i feel like it's fading away from me but so we don't get like his immediate or the the weird thing about it is that when he gets sent back in time he doesn't get sent back to the pier no. Right? He gets but sent to the back, woman, right? Yeah, to the woman at an earlier time. And uh, do they start speaking right away or is it later? I think... No, I think the first time he just like follows her or something. Yeah, I think it starts with I him really, following her. Do you her. remember? I think he wants to say something to her, but he's unable to. Yeah. Something like that. He keeps bouncing back from the old time to the new time. And like they... The scientists are like making a huge deal about it, but it's not... He isn't really accomplishing anything. And then he finally initiates contact with her and they become friends and then lovers, lovers yeah. right? Which is like so fucking French. She's like, I came back through time to you. Why don't you <laughs> come to my apartment that does not exist? We will <laughs> smoke cigarettes and eat the cheese while we make love. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that, that girl is like so French looking. Like, such, you know. I love it. Like 60s French actress looking. And like just also the way in which they interact and that he's just like this guy who, you know, is so like, she has no idea where he comes from and he's just like coming in, in and yeah. out of her life and she doesn't seem to care. Like she's just, she's like, like oh, yeah, I guess we're going to have sex now. She calls him my like, ghost. Right. It's just like so French. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, La rêve. yeah. So their relationship progresses, but as their relationship grows stronger, the scientists in the present bombed out world recognize that his ability to ride through time is becoming stronger and is an asset and so eventually sort of his relationship with the woman reaches a head where he can almost stay in time as long as he likes and they pull him back out of time is that was that your understanding of it or am i tripping i, I thought they just said like um he's gotten so good that some even higher up guy maybe like the president or something like yeah some way higher up guy was like we need to use him for the real deal thing which is to send him to the future for some reason yeah they, for they, some reason that is m more useful to them they, than sending him to the past it's the not clear why i think they just they laid the groundwork that they were going to travel to the past and to the future to call on for help yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Oh, kind yeah, of you an interesting idea. Explain that. Yeah, which yeah, yeah right. They that. they said that um, society was doomed. We and we were running out of food or something. Yeah, the, and the, so somehow we were going to get help from the past or the future. Or the well, first they just say the past. Yeah, and then later Mr. they realize he's so good. Yeah, we're going to send him to the future because for some reason that's 
where we're getting i mean maybe it makes sense that's where we're more likely to get help because they're so far advanced i don't know yeah which and again this goes back to like a pretty common also argument like interstellar yeah the <laughs> argument that we have on this show of just sort of like the ouroboros where it's like okay well then at what point does this actual circle begin right like if you're yeah, getting yeah i mean they don't really yeah they don't spend time on that they don't interact with all. that at all but i don't i don't mind it in this like no, it, why, why should you because it's because it's a paradox it's not going to resolve itself. But, yeah, but there are like there are examples of it where to me it's like really offensive. Like in Arrival, I think that that time travel is really fucked. And actually, I haven't seen it. Oh, uh, we'll have to watch it for the show. It looks good. It's glorious. What does New Wave mean? Help me out. I'm not a film guy. Uh, the French New Wave is like a post-war. Like it, I guess it starts probably in the the late 50s, like 59 ish. Mm-hmm. And it's it's supposed to be sort of like the cinema equivalent of like mid-century modern so there's like some good ass furniture yeah some good ass furniture so like think of i think some of it i got a credenza from that company (laughs) from mid-century modern yeah (laughs) um yeah think of some of it is like they break down a lot of form so and in a lot of ways this movie does that with the still photos yeah it's like um jean-luc picard yeah jean-luc picard we've got um french hat truffaut (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and then it leads into the British New Wave. Frankie, Frankie Truffles. Is yeah. That Fran- Frankie, Frankie, Frankie Truffles. Frankie Truffle Dog. Um, yeah. And what then are you it, guys talking about? The French New Wave, Alan. Get your Frankie get Truffles. Francois, Francois Truffaut. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> Fucker. Bub. Bub. you were talking about Frankie Knuckles. Pay Robert Durst Bail. Um, <laughs> what? I said pay Robert Durst oh, Bail. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I'll cut all that. Yeah, so where were we in... <laughs> I think he's innocent. <laughs> I'd like to start this out here with the Robert Durst I'm going innocent on the record <laughs> Robert Durst innocent report. He's a um, side pod. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure that it was like big knife lobbyists right. that are um, trying to keep him it's down. A fa- it's a false flag attack. <laughs> <laughs> All Robert Durst friends dying <laughs> false flag. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, so where were we in the plot breakdown on this one? He was about to go to the future. Yeah. He go, oh, yeah. He yeah. go to the future. So once once the sort of... He goes back to the future. Yeah, he goes... And we also, we didn't talk about, like, exactly what it looks like when he time travels, right? Oh, when he... He, t- like, lies down essentially in, like, a hammock. Yeah, he lies right? down in, like, a weird <laughs> chair. covers eyes. With this... Sponges or something. Yeah, these sponges that have electrodes have, on them. Yeah. It's pretty intense looking, I think. Yeah. 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 I, oh, and they inject him with something. They inject him with something, and there are these two guys that sort of stand over him. One of them has these goofy-looking steampunk glasses, and the other yeah, yeah. has this very striking bald head. Maybe I'll try and find like an image of him for the episode. You know, it's like you know, sometimes we've talked about the dirty future aesthetic, and how Alien was really like the 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 kickoff, the, yeah, the 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 forerunner of any of this, but like. This has a bit of that too. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. This has yeah. like hard, dirty future. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So the fact that he has, he's, he, he seems almost like he's like sleeping. So it kind of gives it sort of dreamlike quality to the time travel, right? Yeah. It's not really ever clear. Like, does he kind of inst? You know, you would expect it to be sort of an instantaneous thing, right? Where he like goes into the past and instantly comes back to the future or something or no, to the present. But time right? elapses while he's away. Time. They make that clear. They they imply it, don't they? Yeah, I think it does feel like time is elapsing while he's away. It actually feels like he's like sort of 
both places, right? Well, yeah, well he's, like, yeah, he seems he's like, to be... His, he's like, his consciousness is like transposed into the past or something like that. Which they kind mirror... But he's also a physical body in the past as well, right? Like yeah. He's walking yeah, around right. and stuff. Well, and they, they mirror that really interestingly by overlaying some of these like whispers in German. So like we, we are dimly aware that like things are happening that we can't quite see or understand while he's traveling through time. And so once he's got his strength or ability to travel backwards almost indefinitely and they reveal like hey the real reason we're doing this is because like we're running out of food and and we were hoping to be able to send you to the future we're sending you to the future and they do mm. they send him to the future yeah and he makes and contact the future is pretty funny looking yeah i do <laughs> people have like diodes on their foreheads <laughs> <laughs> I thought I, I liked it. I thought it was really interesting. It's like they they don't they don't want to interact with him at first. Yeah, they they ignore him and yeah, like send like, him back or they something. They think he's gross. Yeah, they're just right. like, oh, you're from that timeline that you're fucked missing it up. a foreskin. <laughs> Come back well, with a foreskin. It's not a different timeline though. It's just the past. Is it? Right. Well, it's but just then the, or the present. Okay, but then so as soon as he makes future. contact with the future, shouldn't he know like, oh, okay, we make it out okay. Shit, will be fine. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. But they don't make it clear that it's like a different timeline or anything. Yeah, right? they don't make anything clear. Which, again, I thought was maybe had something to do with the translation of the movie. Because the think? movie is originally French. And the voiceover I mean, is obviously dubbed. It's a short film from like six... I mean, how many... From like the early 60s, right? I mean, how yeah. many time travel movies were there really? Like, I don't know if people were thinking that much about time travel paradoxes at that point. That's true. Right. I don't know. I feel like... Do they, I mean, also, do, do they need to? <laughs> is, the, is the movie right. is the mo- is the movie less because they don't grapple with that? Right. No, you're right. I it's, don't know. It's going to your being there principle of like what you see is what you get. Thank you for giving me some credit for that. Well, we don't have to talk about that. I know. I just feel like it's a running theme on the show of like when to file something under the being there principle versus yeah. when to sort of dig like, in. Yeah. When when to file a complaint about like the the like internal logic or internal logic of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Or when to dig in and be like, no, 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 this internal logic of the movie is urging you, the viewer to dig something into it that is not present. Like there's something implied that they want you to find versus like, no, there's nothing implied. Like just let it go. This did actually spark something. Cause like, I remember like in college reading a lot about determinism. Um, and, uh, you know, which is the idea that, um, the the debate, I guess, determinism, anti-determinism, what whether uh, everything that happens, that ev- all all phenomena are determined, and this would include all mental states, and like you know, just like it, to what degree that that you know sort of like spirals out and touches on everything. Like, is you know, is there any moral choice because all your actions are predetermined? It just touches on a lot of different uh, you know different areas of philosophy, and I was just thinking like. Does anybody determine this and think about this? Like talked about like alternate timelines or alternate universes. I just couldn't think of anybody doing that. And it's like possible. I just didn't read it, but it's kind of an interesting concept because it's like, does determinism and alternate universes, like how do those stack up? Like, you know, could it, the universe still be deterministic, but then have different um, strands going out, you know, which are all predetermined. Um, yeah. Or does that effectively cancel the idea of determinism? Or not? I mean, like, does does that resolve the paradox or not? So that's effectively the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, is that like every at every instant, the universe is like branching out into maybe like an infinite number of you know branches. And so if you think about the universe in that sense, there's like this universal wave function that's totally deterministic. But like, what you don't know 
is what branch you're going to move along. So the universe isn't... Does that make sense at all? It You you don't know it as an observer or it is not possible to know? It's not possible to know. Not, okay. That, I mean, it's just a theory, right? For listeners of oh. the show who don't really understand or like have no... <laughs> have, have no... <laughs> who are listeners who are dumb as rocks? Sh- shaved dumb apes. Who <laughs> 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 are like, you know, jer- jerking Waxed. off to pictures of... <laughs> Lady M&M's. <laughs> <laughs> any any waxed apes out there? Yeah, um, we, we we see you. Yeah, Alan, if you want to kind of give them like the the bigger yeah. overview maybe, of, yeah, so maybe I'll go back a bit. Yeah, maybe we could start at particle wave duality and then kind of take that into why someone would believe yeah. in sort of the the difference between two quantum decisions getting made or how you would explain that because maybe we can talk about like the Copenhagen interpretation. So or we could talk about like the double slit experiment right i think that's a great to me that was the place where i started and Mm -hmm. and that was the sort of the easiest and most like actualizable thing so like starting with light right so like yeah so up until what was it 1920 was like physics was kind of basically a settled field Mm -hmm. like newton's laws basically governed everything with a few minor exceptions again stop me if i am being a howler monkey over here (laughs) like the apes are whipping up a storm today. Um, yeah. I mean, it, there was special relativity at that point also. Oh, okay. So yeah. then so then maybe before that, right? I, Alan, yeah, Somewhere you, around you the turn of the century where, where quantum mechanics was being discovered. Yeah, like the 20s, I mean, the 10s or the 20s or something. But And it was related to the quest to understand the nature of what light was. Because if you attempted to observe light as though it were a particle you could observe it as a particle. And if you attempted to observe light as though it were a wave, you would observe it as a wave. And those things are mutually exclusive for listeners who don't sort of have any understanding of physics. A particle is like a solid thing, and a wave is like a way of behaving. Uh, is that a sort of good way of explaining? I don't fucking know. Dude, yeah, why are I you teach SAT this? to high school kids. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Maybe we're getting too far into the double slit experiment. I mean, the yeah. idea of quantum mechanics is basically that, you know, we think of everything as, as, as particles. Before that, we thought of everything as, as being a particle that has a particular... Uh, it's not even talking about light. Let's talk about like an electron or something. Like every, everything is a particle that has a very particular uh, place in time. What quantum mechanics was finding was that if you try to actually measure the exact position of like uh, an, uh, a particle you find that you can't actually do it exactly. So you set up the experiment exactly the same way every time, such that you should be able to measure in the exact same place every time, but you don't. Um, Every time it ends up being in a slightly different place. If you do it many, many times, you find that there's an actual distribution of the location. A pattern. Right? Yeah. And then the double slit experiment, it's actually like an interference pattern. So you can actually do the double slit experiment with electrons too. Yeah, which that was where I was sort of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what you're driving yeah, to? Yeah, that's what I was okay. driving to. So yeah, they, yeah. they did the double slit experiment with light So the first. double slit experiment, right, is where you have like a sheet that has two small slits in it. And you shine light on it. You shine a laser at it. The slits are very close together. You shine a laser at it and the, and the light is coherent, meaning that like it's in phase, right? All the, all the light is in phase. What you find, then you put a, uh, another sheet like further so that what happens is that the light actually um, comes, when it comes out of the slits, it gets diffracted and then the diffraction patterns interfere so that you get a diffraction pattern on the sheet on the other side of the slits and this can happen with like water too right you like you can look up videos online where people do 
a similar thing with waves of waves of water. Well, right? yeah, and and for listeners who sort of want a practical version of this, you can think of it this way: of like things that move in waves, like a wave has a peak and a wave has a trough, and so theoretically, if you have another wave that's out of phase, meaning the peak is where the trough of the other wave is, and they interact with each other, they cancel each other out. And that's how like noise-canceling headphones work. Like they mm-hmm. record the ambient noise around you and they play it out of phase and that cancels out the sound. So theoretically, if you were talking about objects going through slits, that's yeah. a pretty easy thing to chart, right? Like it's moving in a direction. But what they found was there was actually phase cancellation, which implies waves. Am yeah, I, you're, it, talking about, you're talking about when they do it with electrons. Yeah, when they right? do it with electrons. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which that's, so... Yeah, so when they do it they do it with electrons and you would think, okay, electrons are particle, it's just going to end up, you know, in some exact... We know exactly where it's gonna, always going to end up on yeah, the other side. Yeah, it goes through the first go, window. It's just going to go through them and then end up, you know, we're going to see a, a pattern uh, on this sheet that we put on the other side. And the electrons are just going to like be in the, on this exact pattern because we know exactly where the particles are. But instead, the electrons also act as a wave. And, and when they go through, they interfere and also cause a diffraction pattern the same way the light does. Yeah, which is, is crazy. So it, it's essentially saying like, uh, you know, the expectation was that you would see like basically a line and instead you see a wave. I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then the question then became what, like, how do we explain this, Right. Right. And effectively, like, there's just different interpretations of what's going on here. And we still don't know which one's correct, right? And the the big one is, like, the Copenhagen interpretation, which is saying that, okay, the reason why we see this wave is because that's actually effectively, like, a probability distribution of where the electron is. Where so, it should be. Uh, I guess, yeah, where... It, I'm sorry. Well, it's it's actually, like, a wave function, right? So, so the electron's not described by, like, a point... But it's actually a wave function, uh, which is like a, which if you then take the absolute value and then square the wave function, you get the probability distribution of where the electron is over space. And the idea is that when we make a measurement, we are forcing, we're, we're causing wave function collapse, right? And so we're forcing that electron to now be in a particular place. Yeah. Um, and that's, so you can actually run the double slit experiment, but close with one, one of the slits. Well, right? yeah, no, I was going to say with one electron at a time. Right right? And you still get this diffraction pattern. So it just slowly builds up, right? Like each electron ends up in kind of a random, in, in a place that you, where you can't exactly predict where it will be. But over time, if you, if you run it and you shoot many, many electrons, it'll form this diffraction pattern. The same pattern. Yeah. The same pattern as when you shoot like many at, at the same time. So the point is that, yeah, may, maybe the electron is defined by this wave function, and then once you actually measure it, which is like when it hits the the the, uh, the sheet at the at the end, uh, that's when it actually collapses, when the wave function collapses, right? And that's called the Copenhagen interpretation. But that's just one of the interpretations. That's also that's like the most popular interpretation of quantum mechanics. But most people, it's popular because it's easy to use. It's not really popular because people think that it's right. Like people who think deeply about what like what might actually be going on generally are not in favor of the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics. Oh, snap. I didn't <laughs> know that. <laughs> Yo. Stephen Hawking, come on the show. <laughs> yeah, fucking A. Right. So, so where I was going with this is that that's one interpretation, but then another interpretation is the... Is the many the, worlds? The many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, which is saying that... Okay, and, and, it's, and it's really hard to explain, and I'm not sure that I understand it fully, but basically it's saying that actually what's happening is when you make a measurement, you are entangling yourself 
with the electron such that uh, like when you make a measurement of an electron, you are entangling yourself with the electron. And what happens is that many superposed states. So, so uh, in quantum mechanics, a, a particle or anything can exist in um, a superposition of quantum states, right? So the electron, for example, doesn't need to just be like have you know you can do this if you if you confine an electron in some very small space you can see it's the easiest way to see it is that um, you can actually put it in a superposition of states like of different energies and actually you don't even know it's in all of them at once right until you and in the Copenhagen it. interpretation is saying like okay when you observe it then it chooses one uh, state to be in right. right and the many worlds interpretation says that's not actually what's happening what's happening is that you are entangling yourself with that electron such that you also go into a superposition with the electron. And so then there become, say there's three superposed electron states, then they become basically three U's as well, right? What you're saying is that every time scientists measure an electron, they create an alternate universe. It's not even any time a measurement happens, really. It's any time like any quantum states interact. Yeah, well, I was going to say that sounds <laughs> like you know going to be dangerous. Going to crowd up the, uh, <laughs> the parallel universe. Space well, that's here. what's weird, right? Is that we got to yeah. get Thanos on this? <laughs> like the many worlds interpretation many would say that there's some inconceivably giant number of parallel universes, and the weird thing is that they don't twelve, <laughs> twelve ish. <laughs> and the weird thing Eight. is that they don't exist in like different physical spaces, right? They are they are superpositions, so they're all existing in this one universe, like sort of on top of each other, quantum mechanically. Groovy. <laughs> the way I, I always like it. I'm tr- into it. Try to yeah. think about it, which like obviously again, I have like a fucking fraggle brain. But like it's almost like if you went to a deck of cards and it's a full deck and it's been shuffled, and every card is theoretically as equally likely, mm-hmm. before you draw the card, you are you in this universe when you draw the card there are 52 other universes one in which you've drawn every card in the deck is yeah. that i mean i think yeah ish yeah you, so you like, can think of it that way and the part of it that's weirdest to me is that these are not physically different like these are not universes that exist in different physical spaces they all exist in this one universe right and they're just different quantum states that are all super like superposed on each other that's so And wild. there's one universal wave function that contains all of these, right? And so the interesting thing about the many worlds interpretation is that like uh, in the Copenhagen interpretation, you basically say the universe is not, you have to admit that the universe is not deterministic, right? Because you don't know uh, when you make a measurement what uh, state the electron's going to be in, what the state the electron's going to collapse into. And that's just the nature of the Copenhagen interpretation. But the many worlds interpretation says, well... Actually, we, we, we bring back determinism again. Yeah. We yeah. create the superposition and each one gets created simultaneously, right? They, and they all exist. And they're all deterministic. And the deterministic. universe just keeps branching off like that, right? And, and the probabilities with which, like, so you measure this superposition of electron states and in Copenhagen, they would say, there's a 30% chance you measure this, there's a 40% chance you measure this, and there's a 20% chance you measure this, right? In many worlds, it says... Uh, well, there's 30 universes. In, yeah, there's say like 30 or whatever. It, it's not clear what number, right? But it's like right. 30 universes where you measure that, 40 where you measure that, and 20 where you measure that, right? Right. And so then that's totally deterministic in the scheme of the universal wave function. It's totally, de- and the universes just keep branching off with these predetermined probabilities. And the only thing you don't know when you're thinking about the future is which one of these universes you're going to go into. It does seem to cohere with 
determinism. But I think what a philosopher would say is like, you know, if, if you're getting, if, if you bring this into the realm of philosophy and the issues that philosophy deals with, like you're, you're only, you're, yourself is only ever experiencing one of these, you know, almost infinite, uh, you know, uh, universes that, mm-hmm. that branch off from each other. So like, the, what are the, impl- I mean, does it have any practical implication for that? Does it, does it change that calculus in any way? I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I think to that point, there's, there's sort of like a science fiction answer, which is like Philip K. Dick writes about this all the time, right? Where he talks about like, you know, the sort of parallel worlds that are in some way in, in communication with each other. Right. So like, it's, it's sort of transgressing against that boundary of like, yeah, if you're not aware of these changes, then it doesn't really have any practical effect on you. But But aren't there different types of, determinism right there's like hard determinism and soft determinism and yeah different so so wouldn't this be deterministic in like some senses and non-deterministic in others depending on which type of determinism you're talking about Raph is fully <laughs> erect right now. <laughs> no no I'm, I'm actually i'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to think about it to give it to give it an adequate answer so you have the multiple worlds theorem it i, th- I think that comes out as hard determinism i think it's very strongly like a a, a very hard determinism that you know you the first blush is how it seems to me is that the, mm-hmm. what you do is determined. Now that doesn't mean there's only one way of that could ever be of doing things. There obviously there's there's huge multiples of different ways that things could turn out, but they are are all determined. They're not. Yeah, you don't I mean, have agency over it. No, that yeah. you don't, you don't affect change through. Um, yeah, I mean if it comes down to quantum states, it's hard to argue that that your that your agency that your your choices which yeah. you know it would still be illusory under that scheme make any kind of difference um cool i've sort of forgotten what soft determinism is i no, think it's a thing soft determinism maybe i'm wrong but like because this was something that used to keep me up at night really hard before oh, I, I remember what soft determinism is it's more of like a psychological determinism um i mm. think it's just like the it, it thus has less to do with um the physics the physical state of the universe and i think more to do with like how you're sort of conditioned to react to things, um, you know, like mm-hmm. are there are there, you know, subconscious levers being pulled that you're not aware of that you know influence your agency. That's my memory. It's been a little while about this, but I don't think that La Jete really touches on any of this stuff. It's just more no. like it, he travels to the future, an alien land. You know what? I would say it touches on it in a really interesting way, and I was talking to Carolyn about this in the way that classical tragedy talks like touches on it right because it's it's always like it always comes down to the question of agency right like that's what determinism is about at its core and i always thought that soft determinism just to to backpedal a little bit was like determinism with choke points so like you know i have x number of options before i get to the train but if i get to the train by 705 i will get on the 705 train and then i have x number of options after that it could be i could be totally misremembering something i read i could just be making shit up though i just you know i i always wondered about that where it's like okay there are definitive choke points in history where like this thing could have gone that way or this thing or whatever um but yeah this i think this movie touches on the idea of determinism and agency in that, and so ultimately, our protagonist, to just finish off with the plot, our protagonist goes into the future and is gifted by future mankind um, this 
engine that gives infinite energy to the past. And so he now... He's given a nuclear power plant, right? Yeah. That's what they say. Yeah. They they give him some kind of a thing. And and the thing that they give him empowers him to... Basically, it it guarantees that the people from the past are going to live. The post-apocalyptic people post-apocalyptic people are going to recolonize the surface of the earth and life is going to kind of get better. And then he goes back to the the present, right? And in the future, he also has sunglasses on. Yeah, he also has... the only time that he's wearing sunglasses. Oh my God, I forgot about that. That was when he looked the most like my dad and I was like, this is really (laughs) uncomfortable. Um, And then he asks, does he ask them to send him to the past once more or has he figured it out himself? No, he, well, I think my memory is he, they, he goes back to, he's brought back to the present and, but then the, he's visited by people in the future and say, we've mastered time travel. We do it all the time. We do it a lot better than you do. Um, you know, do you want to come to the future with us? Yeah, basically psychically he's visited. Yeah. And, and he says, no, I actually, I don't want to go to the future with you. I want to go to this particular moment in the past and he goes back to his his lover oh. and then he dies on well, the he's, day. he's running toward right. her yeah and then his sort of boss one of the bosses of the camps they start to call the underground tunnels um doesn't like that he's escaped basically. escaped basically mm-hmm. even though they have the engine the camp people have the engine and yeah are capable of now living for some reason, his boss is like vindictive and doesn't want him. And as he's running to embrace his lover, he's shot by the boss of his camp mm-hmm. and right. she watches him die. And he realizes in his death throes that this moment is the moment that he witnessed as a child. Yeah. Right. And, and this is the moment that's been holding him to this place. Um, but yeah, I yeah. guess, which is also like a horrible, time loop right if yeah you, if you want to think about it that way oh we could yeah we could dig into that forever and ever <laughs> and still never be at the bottom i think we'll do like an episode on looper where we'll t- talk about that but the reason that i think that this touches on issues of agency and sort of determinism is because he's so like a classical tragic hero right where like you are trapped in He's faded. Yeah, exactly. You're faded. I mean, he is so Oedipus. That is this story. You know, you haven't, I guess your fault is that you love this person. Your fault is that you want to be in a world that isn't your own. And your your price is that you cannot escape. Yeah. And, and because of the journey that you're on, you will invariably die. And you are in that loop forever. And I, I was just like, okay, yeah, this is. It's a very beautiful, very, very classical story. Oh, very good. Even in talking about it, I love it even more. Like, guys, go watch this movie. It's yeah, really it's good. And, and it's short, you know? Yeah, it's... Not it's, much time commitment. Yeah, the and music is so good. The f- The fucking images are scary. It's free. You don't have to read any subtitles if you don't want to because it's dubbed in English. Yeah. Yeah. I just looked up soft determinism, and I was wrong. Soft determinism, all it says is that uh, free will, even if hard determinism is true, free will is still compatible with that. Which I should have I should have known. Oh, that. that's what it means. Oh, yeah, sorry. So I should have known that. That's what, what I wrote my college thesis on. That, and that's what you're saying. That's that's what you were talking about, right? Um, I mean, yeah, I guess I guess I was talking about that with the many so world I interpretation. Th- is, yeah. So would soft determinism be like a goldfish in a tank? No, I think soft. I mean, so the I think the, uh, okay. So this is guy Peter Strawson, and he has this theory of 
uh, just, you know, what we construe as how we think of three. It's how we think of free will. Now, in terms of thinking about free will uh, as something that like it actually in some way that we don't understand, um, we actually make the choices that result in, in, in you know, different outcomes. Um, what what matters is that we see it more or less. We matters that we see it as being free will. Like free will doesn't describe something other than um, that we have these like kind of like um, ingrained emotional reactions to things uh, that we are able to think of others as agents and others as um, you know beings capable of of earning our uh, opprobrium or our you know our being happy with them. I can't think of the opposite of opprobrium right now. I uh, can't think of a smart SAT word for that Genius one. Genius word for that Genius one. I, for that I one. can't help you. You're looking uh, at me and yeah, I am no. fucking useless. But really, I mean, the, basically what the, his idea boils down to is that like we can't help but be these reactive beings. We, we couldn't extinguish that. And that's all we're talking about when it comes to free will. That It doesn't refer to anything else. Everything, it's just a misuse of the language to say like free will means that like you know, I'm actually capable of doing, you know, you know, molding the universe to, you know, a particular shape. So it revert, sort of reverses the burden and changes about like free will. So what, what, to like a burden of perception. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's like becomes more of like a language problem, which is sort of what like attracted to me to that, that philosophy. Yeah. Anyway. Rock on. I like the movie. I Dope. like this movie. Yeah. This movie is fucking rad. I don't. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Alan. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you already said that. I mean, it's short, you know. So, tall monkeys. Really, yeah. uh, it's like two monkeys. Just called this one two monkeys. <laughs> oh, shit. Two big monkeys. So it was twelve monkeys, like a base, basically based on this. Like, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's just an adaptation re- of yeah, this story. Oh, it yeah. is. They're in a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, he goes back. Everything's to the try same. to. Yeah, no future though. There's no there's no future. Although I I will say and and this was an interesting thing that it does again like it's the beginnings of that sort of like sinister corporate overlord vibe that like 12 monkeys certainly has it, but it's like you know, I think it, it really surfaces in the 70s of like we don't really know who the who pulls the levers of power um but they are not us. And like I think the bosses in this movie kind of have that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely like uh, a movie that can reflect on totalitarianism, since totalitarianism take place to in like at least two separate instances. Yeah, within very recent memory at that time, but it's it's sort of you know, yeah, that that sort of morphs a little bit from. I mean, when we talk about like these movies being very reflective of the time. I mean, this is talk. This is obviously very much based on nuclear annihilation fears. 12 monkeys isn't 12 monkeys is based on, um, like fear of germ warfare. Yeah. Or just like the, the, you know, the fear of an interconnected world in which like it is possible for an individual to extinguish humanity. Yeah. I that's mean, actually really, just, yeah. yeah. That's, that fear of interconnectivity of like, you know, that, that we've created, um, a, a way for human evil to manifest itself so intensely and so perfectly as to basically wipe out the species by the will, the will of one person, created a perfect virus that killed out of humanity. So yeah, it's I mean there it's an adaptation, but it's, it's reflective of very different anxieties and very different nightmare future. Fuck yeah, my dude! Should we throw it to endorsements? 
I got one. You got one? <laughs> what do you got? Rap, I've hit been us listening. up. It's actually, it was a reissue. It's an album that was reissued by this like mostly, almost completely unknown band called Zweeter Z. Never was, heard of yeah, them. Yeah. It was reissued by Light in the Attic last year. That's a great label. Yeah, great label. And it's like their unreleased stuff. They actually had an album that was released that, that didn't, no one paid any attention to. Um, but this is like an album that songs they recorded in 1973. And it's basically like, uh, this doesn't sound like an endorsement. If the Beatles had stayed together and their sound had evolved into 1973 and they remained really good, huh? this would be that album. It just it is does, a Beatles that album. sounds like an endorsement to me. Yeah, yeah it sounds great. Zweeter Z. Zweeter Z. What's yeah. the name of the album? Zenith. Z-E-E-N-I-T-H. Well, it's like a tree. Zweeter Z. Exactly. <laughs> Apparently, it's taken from like a... I don't know what the connection... They, there's like a Dutch... They're an American band. Actually, Southern band, I think. Um, they're from like uh, Louisiana, kind of randomly. That's weird. Yeah. Huh. Zweeter Z is apparently like a big lake in the Netherlands or something. Huh. I don't know. No, but really, how do you spell it? Z-U-I-D-E-R-Z-E-E. Cool. Yeah, and also, check out Light in the Attic Records. Like, they put out so much good stuff. They're they're amazing. I don't know where they find this shit. Well, they also had a non-reissue arm, right? Like, they were the first people to put out the Black Angels, I think. I didn't know that. I, th- I think so. I think they put out Passover many years ago. They, they reissued, like, a really crazy record by, like, this country musician who sang about, like, UFOs and stuff and then disappeared. I can't remember his name now, but that record is really cool. So I'm on the Light in the Attic website right now, and I'm seeing something that I don't know what to make of this. There is an album that is credited to two people, one of whom is Haruomi Hosono, who was one of the, yeah, yeah, who was this Japanese electronic musician who was in Yellow Magic Orchestra. This guy is like mega fucking talented. He deserves to be so much better known. The other artist that is credited to is Mac DeMarco. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, I don't know what that's going to sound Mac like. And my homeboy, Mac and Cheese DeMarco. Jesus Christ. I oh. heard him. Yeah, I heard him. I saw an interview where he was talking about that guy and how he's obsessed with, with that Hasono. guy. Yeah. 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 Alan, you got anything for us? Mm, you know, I saw Tim Hecker live a while ago. And I'll, Who's that? He's, uh, um, he's classified as ambient. But it's sort of the most, it's it's the most jarring ambient. I mean, it's not it's not ambient in the sense of like Brian Eno or most of the things you think of as ambient that are like very calming and slow. It's really more like experimental music. A lot of it's on the electronic side. But this one, this latest album he did with like I don't know the name of the instrument, but he did it with like a a Japanese uh, ensemble that plays like these traditional Japanese instruments. So it's sort of like he took all these. Um, like kind of ancient instruments, and then he warped the sound a lot using like um, a lot of electronic techniques, and then added, I layered in and added a bunch of stuff, and it was like the noisiest concert I've ever been to, like just layers and layers and layers of just noise, and it was it was amazing, huh? <laughs> like it blew my mind. Like I was like, I didn't understand. Like I never had heard anything as so chaotic, you know, before. Where was it? Kind of sounds like My Bloody Valentine when they perform live. I never, I never seen yeah, that. Yeah, they do the, something very similar to that. Yeah. Which is like the loudest, craziest. But yeah. It, yeah, it's just sort of like, 
enveloping every every frequency and and of and, and type of noise you know all all together at once like it was sounds like dope. you feel like blanketed in just chaos <laughs> it makes me sound like an insane person but it was uh it was an incredible show my endorsement this week is a guitar pedal actually i uh i ordered it in the mail i saw i, I follow a bunch of guitar people on instagram and and one of them this guitar store posted a picture of a pedal that they were selling and they were like yeah it's like a rare centaur you can pay 2500 for it get it before it's gone and i was like what the fuck kind of guitar pedal costs 2500 bucks so i like went down this rabbit hole of like researching this pedal it's called the clon centaur and like basically this dude his name is bill finnegan and he lives in somerville massachusetts and he made this pedal in his house he's an electrical engineer um and the goal of the pedal is that it distorts your amp without changing the tone of your guitar which like for anyone out there who doesn't play guitar and is not interested in this it's it's hard like to get your amp to distort you have to turn it up really loud and that's not very pleasant so like but if you want to use a pedal that distorts it it basically makes you sound like a guitar center and this pedal doesn't do that it it's like magic sauce and so uh, it, he stopped making them because he was hand-making them in his house, and they're really expensive um, because you couldn't get them anymore. Um, so he then sort of contracted out his circuit to another company and started making them again, but there was like a six-month waiting list. So mine finally came in the mail, and I was like, this is so awesome. So yeah, the Klon KTR. Strongly recommend it. It's really cool. Um, it's definitely worth the hype. I've played a J-Rocket Archer. It's much better than that for my guitar nerd people. Uh, yeah. How much is it? It was two hundred eighty bucks. That's not bad. No, it's not. It's not bad for uh, the sound. Uh, the way I would think about it is like it's the best compressor sound that you would get in like a professional recording studio kind of thing. Except you can carry it in your pocket and put it on stage without it shattering into a million pieces. Like it's it just the it just turns up the good and turns down everything else. Nice. Yeah, it's so good. Um. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to endorse was this article in The Guardian about Uber's IPO. That, that, <laughs> what did it say? That was just like, well, so I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but like... More like Goober. Yeah, fucking Uber's IPO shit the bed. I don't know if you guys know this. They like, apparently Lyft has been tanking and now Uber is hard tanking as well. And it's because like... How much did Uber go down? It went down 7% on its opening day, I yeah. think. And that was... When was that? That was... That was Thursday, I think. Yeah. So like, I I don't know. I guess the thing that was really exciting to me was like it had something to do with the drivers threatening to strike because they're not seeing obviously any amount of this like $100 billion thing that it's supposed to be worth. And the piece in The Guardian was about basically how companies that don't turn profit, uh, investors are getting more skeptical of. And Mm -hmm. I thought that that was like such a positive thing. Um, I've... (laughs) <laughs> that, that's been happening for yeah, a while has it i didn't maybe i'm just hip to it or not hip to it at all I mean, maybe it's a, going even more in that direction but that was a turn that happened maybe four years ago really in the tech industry yeah where a lot of companies started moving more towards profitability than growth like showing profitability rather than growth yeah and and you know the idea that basically that labor is waking up again I don't know, Ty Siegel also posted like a really interesting thing in an article that I was reading, which like I'm not a big Ty Siegel fan, but he was talking about 
This is pretty. This is pretty out of left field. No, yeah. he was. He was talking about labor. Yeah, he was talking oh, about how him. there should be a musicians' union, and I was like, "Fucking a, yeah." If if musicians, if oh, the worlds are colliding, yeah. If non classical and Broadway musicians had unionized in two thousand three and said, "Hey, music buying public, like we will not make records, we will not tour, we will not do anything until you pay for our product," and you know, fuck these companies that are we'd overcharging. We have you. even more AI music than we do yeah, now yeah writing <laughs> they would have fast-tracked that <laughs> yeah they'd have been like the black eyed peas writing machine would have like what's that uh ja- what's that japanese uh like public what's that like japanese hatsune miku i don't know it do you know about this there's like a digital pop star oh yeah yeah yeah. i know who you're talking oh, yeah. about it's like she's a hologram and people and people want to fuck her yeah of course i was yeah. gonna say like because humanity is somebody, essentially garbage somebody dude. writes that music right like well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think an AI writes that. I mean, no, I don't know. Possibly. Yeah, if if an AI is not writing it now, I'm sure we're pretty close to that happening. Um, yeah. So thanks so much for tuning in, guys. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Asher Lack. At at highly Filigent. At Jack. <laughs> Raph is at, at have a cool penis. No, I'm 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 the I'm Jack. I'm at Jack. Follow my account. <laughs> is that like Jack what Dorsey? Yeah, yeah, that's that's like, Jack yeah Dorsey. That's, that's like the president of Twitter or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Tom Nos- from MySpace. Mr. Beanie Nosery. <laughs> oh God, yeah, that guy who like you know like sleeps Wait, in like what? a magical sauna that keeps out like yeah, like the organ <laughs> accumulator guy. Yeah, I met have a cool penis. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you can you can follow the show at Robot House Pod and it's spelled H A U S. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Next time. Next time, Until guys. Until next time. Next rhyme. <laughs> Later. <laughs>